We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome program. First of all, my co-host, David Chemetsky. David, how are you? Thanks for uh, pitching in today as my co-host. I always have different co-hosts, and I know you're excited about our guests today. Yeah, so excited. Uh, you know, I'm doing well together. Just dropped off my girls, so I know we're going to be talking about girls and uh, strong fathers and uh, strong daughters. Uh, so I love it. Awesome. So, yeah, so tell us about our guests, and again, Huge fans of both of them, for sure. And uh, people remember them in a, a lot of different other projects, for sure. But go ahead and introduce our guests. Yeah, no. So today, uh, our guests are going to be Robin Lively and then Bart jo Johnson, who are we're going to talk about their projects. Uh, we've known them for a long time because they've all been in lots of the shows that we've watched and participated in. I can't wait to hear them and hear about this new project coming up. Absolutely. And I appreciate you guys stopping by. And I tell you, it's great to, as a couple to work on something together, right? I think that's one thing that you love about both being in the same field, the ability to work together like this, right? Would you guys agree? Uh, it's great if it ever happens. We've been married for 23 years, and this is the very first project where we've actually shared a scene together. So yeah, we've been in like maybe three projects together, but we always like our characters like pass each other, maybe, you know, say a line as we're <laughs> yeah. walking by. But this this time we actually have a lot of a lot of scenes together. So it was we loved it. So you're hoping that maybe that'll happen again then, right, Robin? Are you hoping that this happens again? Oh, yes. Um, it was so great. We well, it, did, it actually did. It, so it's never happened in 23 years. We do this movie and then we get cast on uh, on 911 Lone Star. We're, we're a couple on that show now. So funny how things work you see it hey they see it you guys work so great together like okay we'll make sure it happens again you never know what these things happen and how the universe works all right go ahead david with your first question yeah so i'd like to hear a little bit more about the project uh, that you were kind of the movie's about to come launch in august 1st i think uh strong fathers strong daughters why don't you tell us a little bit about it well, well, do you want me to tell let me tell okay yeah this is a movie where the father gets to have his moment. We're, we're gonna follow the, the father's struggle with his best friend, his daughter, who he's had all these plans with, who's always shown interest in his field, his career, and they had big plans to, to do this, this work together and open a, a, an office together. And he was so excited about it. And, and it resonates with me as a father because there's nothing I value more in my life than spending time with my kids. So uh, the idea of me having a business with one of my kids would, blow my mind it'd be awesome it'd be so cool well turns out in the movie she has other plans and she meets a guy and they decide they're gonna well i don't know i don't know too many spoilers or not but they, they make their own plans. yeah dr meeker about a little bit plan. so you i'll be putting this both all together in my hour tv show but also on syndication so when we we're talking to dr meeker we kind of got some of that storyline so not giving all cool. away but it, you could see it in the trailer so it's good True. you know you, you think about specifically enough you have as a father having plans like that wow things change like that it's it's a it's a big thing and we're gonna learn a lot you're gonna learn a lot about life in this movie and that's what really the movie's all about is teaching how to be a better father right you definitely yeah uh, Absolutely. Yeah, this is this resonates with us quite a bit because we have three kids. In the movie, we have three daughters. In real life, we have two boys and a girl. And we're trying to figure it out uh, every day. We want to be the best parents we can. We've got our ideas on how to do that. The kids might have other ideas, but we're navigating. We're trying to figure out. Now, in, in the movie, the kids are just a little bit older. The daughter's 
plan on getting married, which we have a 17 year old daughter. And we told her that's, out, that's not, that's out of the question. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> we're 17, no boys coming home. No talk about moving away. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is really, you know, because I watched the trailer and it says a job of a father is to actually let go of your kids and you know, that you have your parents. And that was one of the questions I had for Robin because one of her first movies was you know wildcats and right and that child was a you know a tough child and how how as a parent now do you maybe see things differently uh as a parent as by the way we talked about did we talk we talked about that on set when the when our daughter was you know getting all wild and and uh, become a a big problem like it's like you and wildcats oh yeah yeah (laughs) Oh, that's right. We did. Yeah, yeah. When Kayla oh was Kayla's getting all crazy. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's I'm come full circle sure. now. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Han dealing with you. And now you're dealing with it. Yeah. And so what was your question? I'm sorry. So I guess the, the question is, how do you see things differently? You know, coming full circle. I mean, that's sort of what this movie is about. This strong father, this yeah. strong daughters. But you're obviously a mother who also is probably strong daughters, strong mothers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thankfully, knock on wood, our daughter has not challenged us the way these girls are challenging us in the film. Yeah. So we're like, okay, what can we learn from this? How can we learn? Um, uh, but yeah, this has been so great for me to have that kind of like full circle moment of like, you know, doing films where I was the rebellious teen and I'm the parent to the rebellious teen. And now I have children of my own. Um, and, you know, Bart and I, we we put so much of ourselves into these roles and, and we've had to navigate even with our own kids. Like we have our certain ideas of how we want them to live their lives or, you know, but the importance of being a parent first and a friend second, listening to your kids, um, knowing that, you know, look, we feel like we know best for them. All parents do. Right. But we're learning. It's a process. And um, this movie was really fun for us because I feel like there was a, there was some huge takeaways for us as well. Um, and we definitely put our own relationship into this film and the way we communicate with each other. And we made some tweaks on, in, in the film and in the dialogue, um, to help, you know, to help with that. So, and you were glad that you had that ability to do that, right. Especially finally getting the opportunity to work side by side with each other. You want to really bring some of your relationship into the film as way if you can. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because the dynamic, and that was, I feel like what what a great opportunity that was and and a unique opportunity because we had a say in how they, with the parents, the dynamic between the the father and uh, the, the mother and the father and how we communicate to each other. You know, I think it's like, there was a little, there were some lines where I was a little bit, the character was a little bit um, degrading and not bad, but just a little, a couple of jabs here and there. And I was when like, I was down already. Yeah. And I just was like, yeah, I just don't, you know, I would never do that. She wouldn't do that. And I don't want to promote that either. So like already they're having odds, the father and the daughter, why in the world would I create more tension and more problems? Like, I just need to help help him with this so anyway it was great so, so you changed so you I talked did. to the director and the director, worked through it made changes that's not in the, it's not in the film yeah he, <laughs> he allowed me to make the changes and so it was very personal it's like it's like how you yeah. would have handled it how you yeah. would have talked to me and that was really nice you know yeah. when you when you do a role like this you want to make it as personal as possible yeah. and so we were <laughs> that was it's kind of funny because for you us. Are, you are sending a message so it's like and it's really great that they give us the the liberty to to make those changes as well yeah 
you know when they do that, they're looking at the best thing for the actors. When the actors have the ability to put their character really into the place and understand things, especially with the experience level that both of you guys have, that yeah. makes a better film at the end of the day. Bottom line, if I remember as a teacher, I'm a former teacher, and when they would not, certain principals would not let me teach the way I wanted to teach and try to put uh, in a specific box, I'm like, no. Or even as a wrestler, as a former professional wrestler, same thing. Wow. If you're going to play this character, and we want you to play it like this, and say, well, this doesn't really feel like me. And then I found a character later on that was more like me. So it's, it's, it's always good to feel that character. And one question I have for both of you guys, how do you, like, especially when you have different roles that are really not you, how do you get into that character? How t difficult is that process? Mm. When it's really not you, it definitely takes more work. Uh, it, it could take a lot of work. And, yeah. and if, if you don't put in the work, it feels phony and, and you're disconnected. You, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be thinking about it while you're mm -hmm. performing. So you, you, it's, I think it's all about the preparation, right? It's, a, it's doing the work before and finding, finding that, that part of you because you can't just make it up. You got to find that within you right? To make it real. And then you, if yeah. you don't, you're in trouble, yeah. right? I love those roles. I love the roles that are really challenging. Um, I love the ones that are really like close to me as well. I always find a piece of myself in each character, but for me, like if it's a role that's the complete antithesis of who I am, I'll get the wardrobe ahead of time. I'll put it on and, you know, it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's a whole process. It's fun, it's fun to it's fun to play a bad guy. You know, like a, a bad guy is a, an important part of the story. You know, you can't tell yeah. a, a lot of stories without bad guys. And, mm -hmm. and the reason actors like to play bad guys is for that reason. Like you have to find, you know, why is he bad? And 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 the wardrobe and doing the whole thing. Creating the look is so important. Yeah. That yeah. I liked. I love being a heel more than a babyface in wrestling. When I was hated by everyone, it was such more fun. Then if you're going out as a good guy in wrestling and you're like, man, oh man, I'm, I don't want to do this. And this is the days before the Attitude Era when I was wrestling. It was almost that time with Stone Cold and all this. And that the bad guys were st you know, still the bad guys in the South. That changed in the East. And that's how wrestling is. There's really no bad and good. And that's too bad compared to the movies we watch where there are there is bad and good and evil and everything. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's great having that balance right so it, it, and that's what it is it's that because we hate the bad guys or the bad people that much more right you, you know somebody who does good we always expect everybody to do good but when they do bad you're like oh or something bad happens to a good character you're always pulling it back and you know oh if you, you feel that much more sorrow for them how do you yeah. find, guys find find balance with all the things you're doing all the projects and moving those characters both good and bad together well, I think it helps that we've been very fortunate. We've been really, really been blessed that we hardly ever work at the same time. So Robin will do a movie like, just, like actually this is case in point, Robin just finished a movie shooting in Kentucky of all places. And I started shooting a movie the next day in Kentucky. So we just like, just yeah. swapped out and I kept running. You the out. <laughs> <laughs> we usually have a little more. We, I mean, we have plenty of actors have downtime, so we yeah. have plenty of time together and with our family. Yeah. But I think we've been really fortunate that we've kind of taken turns with mm -hmm. work. So everyone's at home and we're spending a lot of time together. And we've had, I think we've had an amazing time. Um, we've been, uh, we have an amazing balance that we've found. Yeah. 
And yeah. how did you make that happen? That's a challenge, right, Robin, to be able to do that in this industry. To be double and you know, as you know, we don't really have a say in that. It's like a job comes up and, and it works out while you're doing the job. So it's really just been fortunate, like circumstances that that have allowed us to not be working simultaneously. I mean, we have, you know, but for the most part, like we, oh, it's been so great because I work, he's home with the kids and vice versa. And then we have downtimes where we're together. So it's like our kids have no idea what it's really like. Cause we're always, it feels like we're, we're always home because yeah. this industry allows us to, you know, affords us that, which has been so great. Movies tend to give us that opportunity a little yeah. bit better because a movie's a month or two. Yeah. And now we've never had a TV series at the same time. That would have been the biggest oh, challenge. That honestly, like as much as we wanted that, I'm so glad we never did have a TV series at the same time yeah. when our kids were young and needed us at home. For sure. Yeah. Well, well I believe, God, David, we're almost running out of time. If you have a quick question, one more. Yeah, you, I, I know you've always put family together. I know, you know, uh, Bart, I, I know you, you've done some charity work and, and done some uh, work outside the country. I know in Samoa uh, and things like yeah. that. And, and I'm sure that that's some of the things that you guys center your, yourselves around, you know, that having that faith and, and, and guidance to always, you know, center your, yourselves and your family, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, it's really important for us. We have a lot of fun. We'd like to travel and do a lot of activities, a lot of sports and that kind of stuff. But really, we understand that the most important thing is um, the service, serving others and not thinking about yourself. And and we really are active looking at with our kids. Yeah, with spending time with your kids, serving others and yeah. teaching them the, the value of, of service and and deepening out your sense of gratitude and and appreciation for for all that you have been blessed with in your life and i think that's been um i think that's really been maybe the most important thing in our life is that we've taken time for uh the spiritual you know moments in life and the important conversations to talk about things that really matter and what life is really about and, and, and amongst the the fun times sure and what, what a great model of a hollywood couple for sure you guys and that's fantastic uh, you've done yeah. and be able to Thanks. do it and we can check out the movie it's august 1st right it's available august 1st. august 1st only on pure flicks and then i think they'll have it up forever so check it out it's, anytime it's original first original film which is really cool yeah i didn't realize that someone oh, mentioned that's amazing. especially when you yeah. see all the commercials and different things out there what pure flicks has done wow the first original film so that you're that's the first so cool. That'll probably give you a lot more opportunities, more work from that. You yeah, never know, especially when they're looking at it. Totally. original stuff, especially when I see, the, you know, people doing a lot of work in Hallmark and different things like you yeah. guys have done. What if another opportunity, you'll be, guys will be very busy and that's good. That's great for yeah. you guys to get to do what you love and travel and enjoy life. So I appreciate you guys both coming by. So thanks again. Oh, thanks for, so much for having it's us. It's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, take care, guys. All right. That you was you Bye, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. First, my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? What's going on? I'm doing great. Neil, how are you? I'm uh, doing fantastic. I'm really excited about our guest, so introduce her, please. Yes, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Meeker, the expert on all things parenting. I have read Dr. Meeker's books. I wish that they were around when my kids were smaller, but I purchased them for my children, for their children, because I'm a grandma. And uh, Dr. Meeker, you live in one of my favorite places in the world, Traverse City, Michigan. I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so we are okay. neighbors. And I am so thrilled that you're here. Well, thanks so much for uh, inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here as well. Awesome. All right. All right, Kim, I know that you can 
know so much about Dr. Meeker. So go ahead with your first question. <laughs> well, I'm pretty excited about this movie coming out. How did that come about that your book has become a movie? You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I wrote my book a number of years ago, it just hit. You know, it was one of those things I think that just hit a nerve with dads because they realized how important they are to their daughters. And I allowed them to see themselves through their daughter's eyes. And I think because of the popularity of the book, PureFlix came along and said seven years ago, they bought the rights and said, well, you know, this would be a good movie, but there are no real stories in here. And so, you know, they just um, decided to go forward with it. And it's fun. It's uplifting. It's really something we need right now. And particularly because dads are so maligned and marginalized. I think the timing for a movie that comes along and says, uh, 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 dads are incredibly important is great. No. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm so sorry, Neil, but I just want to say, doctor, I can't agree with you more. <laughs> so, so I was Dr. Meeker, when you think about specifically enough fathers, and especially when you're talking about relationships with their daughters, it's so difficult to understand exactly how that relationship works. I've read in a lot of parenting books and things like that, that the relationship changes at different times in their life, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And that can be difficult for dads. Of course, the whole parenting of daughter can be difficult. But really, during the pre-pubertal and pubertal years are what I find the most difficult for, for dad. Here's why. This cuddly, lovely little girl who would sit on your lap and let you read to her and play soccer outside walks downstairs one day and goes, you try to hug her and goes, uh-uh, get away. You're gross. And fathers back off and go, okay, you don't like me anymore. Um, I don't know what to do with you. And so it's really during those teen years that dads really need to move in and engage. So that's more important than engage even when they're young. And so there are these times where dads will go through with their daughters where they don't know exactly what to do but they need to know that no matter what, daughters still need them and want them, no matter how cuddly or how snarly they can be. So I'm curious, so you sold the rights to the book, to this great information that every dad needs. And uh, so how involved were you or did they have questions for you or what was the process when they decided, yes, let's do this thing and make a movie? Yeah. Well, they really allowed me to go through the manuscript and to make some tweaks and changes because, you know, whenever you have a book that's coming out into a movie, the author's a little nervous. Are they going to capture the heart of the movie? Are they really going to try to say what I'm trying to say? So I got to see the manuscript and I thought, yep, but it really depends on how the actors handle it. And I can say they handled it very well. And I'm very pleased with how it turned out because you know you just never know. And so I was really thrilled with that. And that's the thing, the process of putting something together like that, especially you said your book was not as set up for a movie. Are you happy with how they put it together? You know, they bought the rights based on your, mm -hmm. your thought processes and what you see in, in that process and then put it into a movie. 
was the first time looking at it saying, how's this my book? Or was it pleased at that first? Yes. Well, I will tell you the first manuscript that came by, I wasn't thrilled with. And I said, this doesn't mesh with my book. And this doesn't mesh with my book. My book basically outlines 10 principles um, for fathers about who they are to their daughters. So you think, well, how do you make that into a book? But what they did is they took their main character, Bart Johnson, and as the dad, the lead, and they incorporated some of those principles into his character. And you see them worked out with his daughters. Uh, one of his daughters is just kind of going off the rails. She's a teenager. And then the other one is just um, not walking the path that he think he really wants his daughter to walk. So, um, you know, I, I really was pleased with the end product, but you really have to sort of, I, I really had the opportunity to kind of watch over it. And I was glad they used the principles. Yeah, that's, that is, that's really great. I uh, got to see the trailer mm -hmm. and the movie looks really good. It looks funny and fun and engaging. Yeah. And um, they came up with a pretty good storyline. Were you surprised by the storyline that they came up with? You know, I was. It's interesting because my husband and I have three daughters and they have three daughters in the movie. And I thought the storyline was great. I think that having him start off as a wealthy businessman whose focus is on getting his oldest daughter into working at his office, he sent her to business school. And then she comes home and says, no, dad, that's not my plan. And, and how he's just so shaken up because she wants to go in a very different direction than he wants her to go in. And then with his other daughter, who's really having a hard time, it First in the movie, he has no idea how to handle her. But as the movie progresses, you see him change and you see him engage and understand his daughters in a way he never would have at the beginning of the movie. So I think they did a really good job in allowing the audience to see his transition, which is really what the book is all about. The intention of the book was to say, you know what, dads, our culture is feeding you a lie. It's telling you that you're a buffoon, you're the butt of jokes, you're not important. And the exact opposite is true. And all the research says that. And so I think that, um, you know, taking a, a man and, and seeing that transformation and seeing how his daughter sees him, because that really was the intention of my book is to understand how your daughter see you. Because I was convinced that if I could have a father see himself through his daughter's eyes for just 15 minutes, his life would never be the same. And that's what I've heard has happened. Um, interestingly enough, right before the movie came out, uh, and I didn't know when it was going to come out, I wrote something called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass, videos of me teaching dads how to implement the principles in the book. Because dads read the book and go, I get it, I get it, thank you, I'm important to her. Now, what do I do? And so I wrote the here's what you do. And in the masterclass, which is available on my on my website, but it came out right before the movie did. So I think the book and the movie and the masterclass all work together to really give dads what they need to do 
to rise up. And I really believe if we got get dads to engage, we live in a different country, but, mm. but dads are so pushed aside and nice dads go, okay, okay. Nobody wants me. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, ruffle any feathers. Dads need to ruffle feathers. And that's, and that, that's the process that dads have the challenge to do, because if you do this, then what's going on? And so what do you recommend dads to do, especially if they're being pushed away? Yeah. Um, engage. Um, you know, dads are wired with everything they need to be really good dads to their daughter, but they don't listen to their instincts. For instance, dads don't think they should protect their daughters and keep their daughters away from trouble because, you know, their daughters will be outcast by their friends. Forget it. If your instinct is telling you to protect your daughter, protect your daughter. If your instinct is saying to your daughter, um, you know, I'm going to take you and we're going to do some things together and I want to be close to you. I want to take you camping. I want to just be with you while I take, you know, my car to get the oil change. Whatever you can do to engage with your daughter, you don't have to say the right things and you don't have to tell her um, just the right things all the time. All your daughter wants to know is, does my dad like my company? Does my dad want my company? Because if you communicate to your daughter that you want her company and that you like the person she is, she will grow up to do anything she wants to. That's what my dad taught me. And I don't even know how he, well, I, I do kind of know how he taught me that. And we didn't spend a lot of time together, but he communicated to me you are one of my top priorities. I will do whatever I can to protect you, including kicking boyfriends out of the house when I was 21. But he was right. You know, he was right. And he communicated to me, you can grow up and do anything you want to do. That's what a dad gives a daughter. You know, I don't mean this to come out the wrong way, but everybody who's had a mom and a dad knows exactly what I'm going to say. Your mother can tell you, Oh, you're going to be great. Oh, you're going to be the best soccer player on the team. Oh, you're going to go to the best college. And you go, yeah, you have to say that you're my mother. But when a dad says it, you're doing it. You're going to do it because your dad has an authority in your eyes as a daughter that your mom doesn't. It's not that he's better or worse, but dads are the ones who really help their daughters fly. And it doesn't take that much to get them there. That is so true. You know, as a daughter, I can mm -hmm. say that my relationship with my dad, like I always wanted his approval. I always wanted him, wanted to know that he was in my corner. Yes. And I wanted him to be around. And it was such an important thing. And uh, trying to push him away as a teenager. Oh my word, teenage girls. I am sorry, dads, that you yeah. ever have teenage girls. They are not easy. There is yeah, not, not easy. an easy teenage girl alive, I don't think. And um, God bless you, uh, doctor, for having three of them. I had one daughter and four sons and thought that, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my husband did a great job with them. I mean, we worked obviously as a team together, but he instilled a tremendous amount of self-confidence in them. And I, and, and I, and I watched that and I watched my dad do it with me as well. It doesn't take a lot. You don't have to have a PhD in psychology. You just have to learn to never take your daughters personally. That's one of the biggest mistakes dads do. Their, their daughter gets snarky or she pushes them away and they go, oh, 
wow, you know, my feelings are so hurt. Just move in. It's not about you. It's about her. Dr. Meeker, tell us the premise of the, of the movie now. I mean, because the book's different than the movie, especially all your fans of the book, so they can understand what to expect. Yeah. Well, the movie is about a man who's a wealthy businessman, and he's worked very hard to create this successful business, sends his daughter to business school, and gets, the, uh, gets ready to have her move in and join the business with him. She comes home and says, no, dad, I'm getting married in three weeks, and guess what? I'm going to the mission field. And dad just sort of freaks out and he goes, no, 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 you can't do that. In the meantime, his middle daughter is just, you know, got blue hair and the piercings and the tattoos and she's running crazy. <laughs> this poor guy has no clue what to do. And so believe it or not, the father-in-law, the father of this girl's fiance coaches him along by using my book and saying, you know what? No, no, no. This is where you need to go. Here's where you need to move. And it's really a beautiful process. And of course, by the end of the movie, everything works out well, but it's really like an uplifting father of the bride, if you will. It's it, it even for me who wrote the book, it's a tearjerker. So it's really a tearjerker because I knew the book, but it's a beautiful story. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. So your husband demonstrated mm -hmm. a lot of these things. Do, is that something you drew on uh, when you were writing? The oh, books? my father and my husband, my father, for instance, was a very quiet man. And, um, and I'll never forget, you know, he was a physician, but he never, ever pushed me or my siblings to go to medical school. And after I came I, up when I was 16, I said, that's what I'm going to do. That's where my life is. That's plan A. I have no plan, uh, other plan. I applied to 20 some medical schools after college and didn't get in. I was despondent, went home to live with my parents. And I remember walking by my father's study one night and he was talking to a, a colleague. And I heard him say, after I'd gotten rejected by every medical school, yes, my daughter Meg will be going to medical school in the next couple of years. And I was stunned, but I knew in that moment I was going to go because my dad said so. My husband did things like that with our daughters. He took them on mission trips to South America every year. And he didn't say a whole lot, but he showed them how to serve the poor. And I'm really thrilled to say right now, as adults, that's what they're doing. That's what their heart is. So a lot of it is just leading by example and showing your daughters you believe that they can and you don't have to say it all over and over. And that's what my husband did with our daughters. And now they're living it. And that's a pretty cool process to see. Yeah, I think it's so important to talk about anyone tells somebody they can't do something. Mm -hmm. Encouraging them. Doesn't matter if it's a daughter or a son. If you're not encouraging your kids that they can be anything they want to be and they can yeah. be successful and talk down and don't talk down to them because that's that can be so tough on a kid, right? That they, their whole life, they'll start thinking about that, right? That exactly. Exactly. You know, kids hear everything you say and they watch every move you make, not because they're interested in you, but because they need something from you. They need to know if you like them, if you hear them, if you're proud of them. So you can walk into a room with your five-year-old and you haven't seen her all day and she's coloring a picture. If you walk right by her 
and you're on your phone and you're texting, walk through the room, that little girl feels dad didn't see me. I'm not important to dad. But if you walk in the room and you just touch her on the shoulder, kiss her on the top of that, hey, I'm so glad to see you and then go do your thing. That girl feels important. And I will tell you, as far as speaking to kids, I am so distraught by how I see parents talk to their kids now. It is there. I, I often say in our culture, we've normalized crazy, you know, because parents don't know what to do or say to their kids because of what they're being exposed to and what they're being told. And there's so much confusion that um, parents don't have, know how to navigate it. But often parents get so anxious, they end up taking it out on their kids yes. and yelling at their kids. And that crushes children. It crushes them. They say, oh, kids are resilient. They can you know, handle it. No, they can't. <laughs> they can't. They hurt. And it's a parent's job, particularly a father's job to recognize that, say he's sorry and pick him up and move forward. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, there's a whole lot of kids. I, I was always worried that my kids would grow up and have to go to therapy because of my parenting. Like that, that yeah. was a goal of mine to keep yeah. my kids out of therapy. Yeah. But how does a grandfather role play into it? Oh, oh grandfather roles huge. And you know, we have six grandkids and my husband babysits um, our, our five-year-old twin granddaughters every Tuesday. My daughter's a teacher. And he's done that since the day they were born. They adore that man. They adore him because he has time for them. Their dad, their, their own dad is really busy, you know, establishing his career. Grandfather's can have a profound influence on daughters. You know, you never wanna usurp the authority of their own dad, but if they have difficulties in their, in their relationship with their own dad, grandfathers can come in and beautifully fill those holes. Mm. And if a grandfather brings to those kids truth and love and goodness, and dad is having a hard time bringing that, those kids will gravitate to that and they'll hang on. So it grandfathers are so important in kids' lives and particularly young girls' lives. You again, you can't underestimate it. Okay. Now Kim herself wrote a book called Love Is. So Kim, ask a question regarding Love Is to Dr. Meeker, here's your chance, and then we'll go. go All on. right. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to ask a question about Love mm -hmm. Is. Yeah. So yeah. I spent a year in Haiti, actually on the mission field, basically, mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out the true meaning of love. And one thing I found out was that uh, so much of what we believe about love isn't really love. Mm -hmm. And so many things done in the name of love mm -hmm. aren't really love. And uh, like, like the truth that if fathers were all able to be fathers the way they should be fathers, the world would change. If people knew how to love, the right way to love, the world would change. So how how do you get around that with dads um because they've been raised however they've been raised mm -hmm. and believing whatever they believe right but love certainly plays a a big role in it all right i mean yeah it's interesting that you say that because whenever i sit with a troubled teenager usually and i will say tell me who in your life loves you 
And the girl will usually say, well, my mom and my dad, I think, love me. me. But I know the parents and I know those parents love their kids, but there's there's a, a huge miscommunication. So parents, particularly dads, need to figure out what makes their daughter feel loved. And universally, every daughter feels loved by her father. I'll make it really simple. When he sits down, he looks her in the face and the eyes and says, how are you doing? I really haven't talked to you in a while. Tell me how your friend is and listen, just sit and listen. That's showing up for them physically and emotionally and you're attaching. You know, they, people say that teenage girls don't want to talk. They do want to talk. The problem is they know that nobody really wants to take the time to listen particularly us mothers, I'd ask my daughters a question and halfway through their answer, I was um, getting ready to answer their answer with my correction. (laughs) I had to correct her because she's going to give me the wrong answer. But fathers don't do that. Fathers will sit there and listen and just listen. And it's that act of literally just sitting there, looking your daughter in your face and asking her some questions and listening to her that that's what love is to a daughter. Now, some fathers say, yeah, but my daughter would never do that. She will, but give her time, you know, just give her time, try it over. And if she doesn't respond, try a couple more weeks, a couple weeks later, try a couple weeks later. One of the best times dads to try to get your daughters to talk is bedtime. They're winding down. You sit at the end of their bed and you just sit there and you say, Hey, how was your day today? And if they snarl at you, walk out of the room, you come in again. How was your day today? Because they're going to wait and see if you really mean it. And then the good connection starts. All right. So Dr. Meeker, when is the movie coming out? So people, It's coming out August 1st. And it's going to uh, be in movie theaters um, in a lot, most of the, the um, major cities in the U.S. But it's also going to stream on Pure Flix as well. All right. Well, fantastic. We appreciate you coming by. And best place we can find information on you. So can purchase your book on Amazon for sure. Yep. And then you have a website for people to check I do. Out. Yeah, it's meekerparenting.com. And I would encourage um, fathers, as I said, the book is great, but the new masterclass really unpacks things for dads and shows them, okay, here's what love is. Here's what it means. Here's how you do this. In a very simple fashion by me, talking through videos, meekerparenting.com. They can learn everything they need. All right. Well, what a beautiful it. gift for a dad to give their daughter yeah. to take that masterclass. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or a daughter to give a dad or a wife to give a, uh, her husband or yeah, anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it, Dr. Meeker. Thanks for stopping by and we appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. All right. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome program Caregiver Dave, Miss Annie Dave. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, how you doing? Life is going so fast, man. I can't believe I was 21 just last year, and now I'm 68 and a half. Where has it gone? And I try to look at it at 49, that I'm 29. That's going to be my new saying. And again, I'm not just Neil Haley anymore. I'm the media giant. That's my new moniker. And uh at 610. And my guest today... You know, we were talking off air about one of the things about metal. I loved pounding weights with metal because especially when you're doing lifting heavy weights, 
that is the best heavyweight workout because you're, you're going and you got 300 pounds on the bar and you're hearing something that's real metal and it just gives you that adrenaline. And then you're like, okay, let's pump up. And my guest today is, is again, a heavy metal superstar in his own right, Jack star, a burning star, but we'll talk about his career and everything. And now why burning star Jack, how are you, man? I'm doing good. It's really a, a pleasure and an honor to be on your show, man. Appreciate Thank you. Again. Uh, and it's always great to talk to other entertainers because I, I'm going to first question I'm going to ask you, do you feel the reason why you're still entertaining crowds today is because of the rush of performance of performing live? How does that feel? Tell me about that. Well, you know, it's kind of addictive, you know, once you start and you get that uh, appreciation, you know, from an audience and uh, you want more of it. It's uh, it's it's an amazing rush. It's a great feeling. And uh, I keep coming back for more of it. So that about sums it up for me. <laughs> a glutton for punishment, huh? Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so. I, do you mind asking, do you mind me asking you your age, Jack? Because rockers I, seem to be in their 60s and 70s these days. And I'm in my 60s. They've yep. got an incredible amount of stamina. Um, do you find that the adrenaline and the rush is, is bringing back that feeling that you had when you were in your 20s and 30s when you're uh, out there? It really is. You know, there, there's something to be said for that. And also, you know, we have a young singer in the band. And when I say young, I mean, he's young to the rest of the guys because he's 29 years old. So, you know, we're all we're all old enough to be his father and having him in the band kind of, uh, you know, just makes us remember how we felt and uh, what our dreams and you know aspirations were when we were his age and uh, the rush and the that incredible feeling that he gets because he's new to it. So we want to continue having, you know, that feeling. And in, in a weird way, we're kind of like energy vampires. You know, we're feeding off this kid. Yeah. He's That's... like, the, uh, he's like the, the car in a race, the pace car. Yeah. And, uh, and he keeps you motivated. It keeps you up to, up to speed. Absolutely. And he's a really great singer. Um, we, we, we've only had him really for about two years now. He's from Turin, Italy. And uh, we brought him over to America, uh, really like right at the very beginning of the COVID uh, pandemic, we brought him over and we did some outdoor shows with him. And he's just an incredible singer, a uh, really nice guy. But you know what, the bottom line is, uh, you know, we let the music do the talking, you know, people yeah. can, can buy this CD, you know, which just, which actually just came out today. So let me give my little plug. Oh, we'll get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Plug is plug away. Plug away. Is, is he impressed today, by like, your stamina and stuff? Uh, you know, no old man jokes and all that stuff. No, not really. You know, and the weird thing is, like, my mom is like a hundred years old. So, um, you know, my feeling is, if I have some of her genes, which I probably do, I'll be okay for another couple of years. Maybe for another decade or two. So let's talk about how that started, because I honestly believe 
And this is one of the things I've been really working on is I'm trying to reverse the aging to keep going, feel younger again. It just feels, it, it feels great, especially when you get to work out, you get to do things you love and it keeps you going. Look at Dave and his energy level is amazing as well yeah. at his age. Now let's go specifically back. Did you always want to be a rock star? Was this something growing up you wanted to do? I really always wanted, you know, not so much be a rock star, but be a, a rock musician, you know, be able to really uh, master the instrument and make music on it. Because, you know, growing up, you know, I, I used to really uh, revere, you know, Jimmy Page, from Led Zeppelin, Jeff Beck, uh, Brian May from Queen, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. You know, I thought all those guys were just like, gods you know musical gods and i wanted to be i wanted to aspire to that you know so uh, yes i always wanted to be a rock musician so why'd you come up with the name uh, burning star because that leads leads people to believe that you know you're you're gonna burn out you're you're using it all up and and you know all these greats that have died young and here you are <laughs> yeah you know that's one way of looking at it i'll tell you real quick how i came up with it i was in a club one day after my first band, after we'd gone our separate ways, it was a band called Virgin Steel. And I'm talking to this guy in the club, you know, and he's kind of like one of these like California dudes, you know, like, oh, what's up, man? And um, so I, you know, I just tell him, well, you know, I'm not in Virgin Steel anymore. I'm, I started this band and we don't have a name. And then I just on, on a whim, I said, um, you got any ideas? And he goes, well, dude, you really burn on the guitar. Uh, you should call yourselves Burning Star. <laughs> I just, it just made sense to me. Because Star is a brand with how he spells it, Dave, S-T-A-R-R, -R, because Jack Star was a star, and it's a star star in how that happened. So how did the whole, you know, fame come? Explain that big break for you. What was that big break, Jack? Well, in a nutshell, um, I was reading Guitar Player Magazine, uh, which I used to do religiously, you know, when I was uh, learning guitar. And I saw this uh, column from uh, one of the columnists from Guitar Player. And it, in it, it was like, um, how, you know, do you think you're good enough to be on US Metal Volume 2? Have you got the chops, you know? If you think you're good enough, send us your best guitar solo. And, you know, it was almost like a challenge, you know. And, uh, you know, even though I really didn't know if I was good enough or what, and I figured there's probably at least a thousand egotists out there in the United States that think they deserve to be on this album. So then I thought about, oh, what the heck, I'll be number 999 and I'll send mine in. And about a week later, I get a call from Mike Varney who was the columnist uh, for Guitar Player and who started his own record label. And he said, uh, he goes, uh, you're in. We liked your playing, you know. You're going to be one of the uh, 10 guys on the album that we're putting out. Wow. And that was it. You know, that was like, uh, that was like a, a, one of those uh, moments, you know, where the light comes into the room, you know, and you said, okay, I can do this thing. You know, everybody has those uh, who am I moments, you know, who am I that anybody right. would listen? Who am I that somebody buy a ticket to hear me play? And then right. to get that validation. 
I mean, even Trump, when he was elected president, he didn't believe it. He says, look at me, I'm president. Can you believe it? I mean, we all exactly. have that. We do. And it's, a, and it's a good thing. And, you know, a little validation goes a long way because you don't want to be the only guy championing yourself. You know, you want other people to tell you you're good. You know, you don't want. So for me, it really almost literally went from that, you know, went from some just some guy playing in his bedroom on Long Island to all of a sudden being nationally recognized. And it happened, you know, really over the course of a couple of weeks. Wow. And that's, that's awesome because of being nationally recognized and all that process. So from there, what band did, based on doing that, what band did you join that kind of brought your stardom even further? Well, after that happened, I was, st I was still in Virgin Steel, but we used that as kind of like a, uh, you know, a tagline. It was like, yeah, we just put out an independent album and uh, the guitar player, you know, got recognized by this guitar player, uh, you know, uh, magazine and so on and so forth. So it was kind of like it, it opened up some doors for us. And then when I had a parting of the ways with the other alpha male in the band, because, you know, there were two of us and we both wanted to lead the band, uh, he was more into wanting the band to be more progressive and um, maybe more keyboards too. Uh, I think, you know, more like uh, bands like Yes and Rush and those kind of bands. And I was more into making it a guitar oriented band, you know. So there was the, uh, the rub and uh, we went our separate ways and I got a recording contract, a pretty good one actually with Passport Record, it was the biggest uh, independent label at the time. And um, they were just putting out an album with Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones right around the time that I signed up with them. So that was a good little shot to my ego, you know, hmm, okay, I'm on a, I'm on a label now with one of the Rolling Stones. How cool is that, you know? And uh, so it's little things like that that kept me going, you know, uh, even though I never had a, a platinum album or, or even a gold album. I mean, I sold a lot of albums, but I never had a, a, a gold album. Though, of course, in today's world, I probably will get a gold album because you don't need to sell a tremendous amount anymore because, you know, sales are, are, have been off now for a while. You know? Yeah, you sound like a really humble guy. Um, how did you keep from getting a big head out of all this? You know, that's the biggest enemy of, of this industry. Yes, Dave, you are 100% right. And it's got to do with money. If you're not living in a mansion and driving a Ferrari and you don't have gold albums on the wall, there really is no reason to have a big head because reality brings you back down. You know, it's like you're either Billy Joe or you're not. And if you're not <laughs> Billy Joe, you're just you're just getting by, you know. And but what you have is making hopefully really good music and then so for people that are not familiar with your music and your success especially what you have is um we look at specifically you had two groups right your first yeah. name was jack stars burning star from 1984 to 1989 so that really hit a good run when your other group was looking to go somewhere else virgin seal right so tell us kind of how that went when you changed well that. actually uh 
we, we you know we were making albums uh, under the name uh, Jack Star's Burning Star uh, up until about 2003, and then we got back together because there was a 10-year period where I wasn't even playing metal. I was really just learning how to play guitar the way I wanted to play. And that was really in the 90s. You know, the whole grunge thing got really big. Nobody was uh, really interested in metal, at least not in America too much. And uh, so that whole period, I kind of was on the sidelines. And then uh, the internet got big, which was a really good thing. And, and then I found out that you know, I hadn't been forgotten. You know, I was getting uh, emails from like, you know, Czechoslovakia, Greece, you know, Germany, Italy. And uh, I was thinking, wow, this is so cool. You know, um, I really need to get to do metal again because I'm not forgotten. And uh, I really enjoy doing it. You know, I enjoy playing loud. I enjoy the power, you know, the, the passion of it, you know. It's not background music metal. And that's what I like about it. Most definitely. So Dave, what question do you have for Jack regarding heavy metal? Because Dave, you're never a metal fan, were you? No, my kids were, but not me. <laughs> not Metallica ever? Or anything? Or any of the heavy metal? I was mentioning to Jack about the big push in Stranger Things now, where in the last season of Stranger Things, they put a huge push towards metal in the last two episodes of season four, which again, left me my mouth dropping thinking, oh, I thought that was the end of Stranger Things. No, there's a season five. I was like, please don't end it like Ozark. Cause I don't know if any of you guys are Ozark fans. Ozark's ending, I couldn't stand it. I hate when certain series I watch the whole time and then the series ends and it leaves me wanting more. Well, create another season. They didn't. So right. that's a so heavy metal day and in so many ways had it with the hair bands, even to a way uh, when you talk about even a mixture of the hair bands and heavy metal would be also, I would say, you know, looking at Guns N' Roses, you're looking at specifically, um, you know, uh, just a bunch of different bands that had a metal mix with the big hair, right, Jack? Yeah. Wouldn't you say that? Absolutely. And um, yeah. in a way, it was kind of good that, you know, I hated grunge music. I didn't like like it. But in a way, it was kind of good because it, it brought a lot of musicians from the 80s back to their more primitive roots, um, more stripped down, you know, music. And I think Guns N' Roses was really one of the bands that helped do that. Um, and that's what we're doing on this album. You know, the thing with Souls of the Innocent. We've had albums that have had layers and layers of sound, you know, like like a dozen vocal layers, like 12 guitar tracks, uh, all kinds of effects. Uh, this album, it's very stripped down. So uh, we can duplicate this live very easily. And uh, it feels really good to do something that that is that transparent, that people can listen to, they can put on their earbuds or, or listen to it in the car and you hear every instrument. And if I could just give a shout out to the producer, um, there was a very big band in the eighties called Dokken. I don't know if that rings a bell. Yeah, I remember Dokken. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, our producer, Kevin Burns, uh, 
did an album with Don Dock and he's a tremendous guitar player and he's also a great producer. So he was able to really define the sound that we were looking for. And what we were looking for was just a clean, heavy, honest sound. We didn't want a lot of studio chicanery. We didn't want a lot of tricks, effects, drum machines, auto-tune, none of that stuff. We just wanted to be four guys playing music and a representation of what that sounds like. And I hope that we did that, you know, with Souls of the Innocent. Well, time will be the ultimate judge. See if everybody's yes. listening to it in a hundred years. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, it's a good, that's a dim prospect. How about in like, uh, hopefully the world will still be around in 20 years. Oh, uh, the, the world will I'm, be I'm around sure. so everyone will be in space. I'm so sure Mozart had no idea that we'd be listening to his music 350 years from when he wrote it. Good point, Dave. Yes, very good point. And, he was uh, broke. He died broke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so much what does money. that tell you? <laughs> yeah. Exactly tell you the, the, the whole thing. So, Jack, where do you see your career now? Where, like with Running Star, how? Do you have any, like, how, especially with the genre of metal, how it's a different genre now where really it's not in the mainstream as well. It's a lot bigger in Europe, as we all know. Uh, yeah. Where do you see it going in your well, career you know, in, in metal in general? Well, what I see happening really is it, it reminds me of what it was like in the early part of the 80s before it became mainstream. Uh, it was a cult, but it was like a really big cult and everybody seemed to know each other and they were trading cassettes and you know, people were going in these little magazines and putting out little ads, you know, I have a live you know, album from Metallica. I have a concert from Ted Nugent. Uh, anybody looking to trade, I'm looking for this. So there was this camaraderie. Um, and I think I'm seeing that again now, I'm seeing that it's like the people that have stuck with metal have created this brotherhood and it's a huge brotherhood and it's in every country in the world. Um, Burning Star, it really benefits from that cult quite a bit. Uh, we've been embraced by the cult. Uh, my son, um, I remember when he was in college, he wrote me a letter and he addressed it to exalted cult leader, dad. You know, he was because it got to be funny. You know, I mean, I'm, we're getting letters from like, I mean, we got fan mail from Transylvania. I didn't even know that that was a real country, but uh -huh. it is. And they had a metal festival there about four years ago, five years, around four or five years ago. So this thing with uh, metal, it's really, it's large. It exists and it's done without the manipulations of big corporations, at least not in our era. Uh, it might get really big again. And then before you know, we'll have Warner Brothers and Columbia and CBS and everybody jumping back into it. But right now it's still at a very big uh, cult level. Interesting. And we're, we're right there, we're on the cusp of it. And, uh, and, and it's cool because one thing is, you know that it's genuine. 
Yes. In other words, uh, if you're going into a record store, there's no big cardboard cutout of Burning Star. There might be a big cardboard cutout of Britney Spears or Lady Gaga, you know, and it's really easy to find those albums. So if you're looking for a Burning Star album, okay, you're gonna look under B. Oh, oh, it's not there. Okay, let me look under S for Star. Oh, it's not there. Okay, but you're not gonna give up. Oh, let me look under Imports. Even though we're an American band, most of the time we 